Take your copy of God's scripture and uh, turn, if you will, to Acts chapter 22. Acts chapter 22. We'll begin looking in verse 22. It's great to see you here tonight. More folks than I thought. Maybe you're looking for a Super Bowl party somewhere, thinking somebody might take you home with you. Maybe tonight came out. It's great to see you. Um, you know, there have been many times uh, in my life where I wish that I could take something back that I said. Have you ever had those moments before? I mean, just yeah, I, sometimes I wish that I could go gather it up just as soon as I say it. I realized that was probably not the wisest thing. It was probably not the greatest thing for me to say. Uh, oftentimes on a Sunday afternoon, I get home and I think, now, why did I say such things? You know, this morning I should have maybe uh, tempered it just a little more or I should have said it in a different way, but especially in a uh, the, maybe personal moments, personal moments where maybe it's a, a difficult time in a person's life and uh, they feel maybe hurt or emotional and, and they come and they bring that kind of pain and, and uh, I can view it maybe as an attack or something. Have you ever had something happen in your life where you thought maybe somebody was attacking you, maybe for the job you were doing or some words you had said and uh, before you know it, you had just turned the full fury of your wrath upon them. Any of you? Okay, well, I'll be at the altar all by myself tonight, probably. I mean, I, I have done those things before, and, and I wish that I could have taken those back. And I, I've tried to learn from some of those mistakes through the years and uh, tried to make sure that, one, that I could be bold in my witness for Christ, and two, I could be wise in my witness for Christ. Because I think that is... That is the balance we need to find in our lives. If we feel like some, some, for some reason we're being attacked, especially for the message that we bring, for the message of Christ, that we are bold in what we say, that we are bold in what we stand for, but we are also wise. And I think that we see that example in Christ Jesus, and I think you, I think you see it also in his apostle, the one we call Paul. And I want you to see this, the example, as it plays out in these verses tonight, as Paul gives what I want to call a wise defense, a wise defense. Beginning in verse 22, it says, And they listened to him until this word, and then they raised their voices and said, Away with such a fellow from the earth, for he is not fit to live. Now, remember the context, okay? Uh, Paul has been addressing this predominantly Jewish audience. They have brought charges against him that he has defiled the temple and the temple court. He's allowed a Gentile to come in. They already were concerned about him because of the messages that they had heard. They felt like they were anti-Jewish messages. They felt like he was rejecting their ritualism, rejecting their identity, rejecting their customs. So already they had attacked him. The Romans had stopped that. They had brought him out of the court and, and during that moment, during that time, they allowed him to address this group of individuals, this Jewish audience. And in this, Paul tried to demonstrate how he had a connection to them. He, I mean, all throughout that speech that we read last week, he was trying to demonstrate his kinship. But then when he got to the end of this message, and this is where he really set off this group, he said something to the effect that God had called him to depart from Jerusalem, depart from that area of Judea, depart from the Jewish people, to go to the Gentiles and to bring the message of Christ. And when he mentioned that word Gentile, 
it was like he had just lit an explosive. And it said that they began to call for his, um, his persecution. They, they wanted him dead. They began throwing dust in the air. Notice in verse 23, it says, Then as they cried out and tore off their clothes and threw dust into the air, the commander ordered him to be brought into the barracks and said that he should be examined under scourging so that he might know why they shouted so against him. So here he is. He's bringing this message again. The, the crowd erupts, says, we've got to get this guy and get him out of here. The nationalistic Jew, Jewish sentiment had just grabbed them, and they were trying to push back against Paul. The commander, he knows that things are going awry. So what he does, he gets Paul, and he says, we're going to take him back. And you know what we're going to do? We're going to find out what's really going on here. Because the commander still didn't know. The tribune still didn't know what was happening. He had heard Paul make his speech, but he didn't know why these people were reacting so violently. So he said, you know what we'll do is we'll just beat the truth out of Paul. We'll scourge him. We'll beat it out of him. And somehow he will tell us then what is at the bottom of this dispute. Well, notice verse 25. And as they bound him with these straps, Paul said to the centurion who stood by, is it lawful for you to scourge a man who is a Roman and uncondemned? Wisdom. <laughs> Wisdom. Here he is, okay? And I think Paul is more than willing to do whatever God calls him to do. We've seen it in Paul's life. He is willing to subject himself to persecution, to suffering, if that is what God wants him to do. But at this point, he has to look at the centurion and say, by the way, is this the way you handle things against Roman citizens? Now, this makes all the difference in the world. And actually, Paul's Roman citizenship will, will play a vital part all the way through the rest of the book of Acts. But here, in verse 27, the commander came and said to him, Tell me, are you a Roman? And he said, Yes. The commander answered, With a large sum I obtained this citizenship. And Paul said, But I was born a citizen. Then immediately those who were about him, uh, who were about to examine him, withdrew from him. And the commander was also afraid after he found out that he was Roman and because he had bound him. So, Notice the reaction. He, he comes to Paul and he says, uh, did you say that you are a Roman? And Paul says, yes, absolutely, I'm a Roman. I have citizenship. The tribune says, well, it cost me a lot of money for my citizenship. And this time frame of the Roman Empire, they obviously had been selling some of their citizenship. Certainly the tribune might have gained some favor because of his service in the military but under the Emperor Claudius, they had begun to sell certain rights in the citizenship. So he said, it cost me a lot of money in order to main or obtain my citizenship. Paul answered him and said, well, I didn't buy mine. You kind of like that, right? I didn't buy my citizenship. I was born a citizen of Rome. That makes all the difference in a sense. It's like I was born a citizen of Rome. Now, all kinds of speculation has been made. Like, how did Paul, how does his family get citizenship in Rome? And, and I, I've read different theories. It's all speculation. We don't know. All we know is Dr. Luke says that Paul 
was a citizen. And he was recognized as a citizen by all these different authorities as you read forward in the book of Acts. And he says, I am a citizen. It says, all of a sudden, people began backing up. Can you imagine this? I mean, here they are ready to scourge him because this is a very violent moment. I mean, a scourging. This is going to be um, basically this leather-like whip that's going to have at the end these um, pieces of bone and rock, perhaps even some fish hooks that they had put in there for good measure, and that they would have used that to scourge the prisoner to literally rip the flesh off of that prisoner until, obviously, they, they obtained the information that they wanted. So here, they're getting ready to do this. These are some of the toughest guys you could find that were about to scourge Paul until they hear he's from Rome, that he's a Roman citizen. And they begin to back up. You could almost see the terror in their eyes because this was unlawful. For them to do such to a Roman citizen without proper hearings, without all the proper judicial proceedings, they had placed their lives in jeopardy. And the tribune himself was scared at the charges that could be brought. I say to you again, Paul conducted himself with boldness, but with wisdom. Listen, we ought to be willing and we ought to be uh, certainly ready to offer our lives for whatever God brings, even if it is some type of suffering and persecution. But we should not necessarily run to suffering and persecution. Do you hear what I say? We're not called to just simply run to suffering and persecution and say, hey, this is what God calls us to be wise. To be willing and to be wise. And that's what I think you see here in Paul's life as he appeals to his Roman citizenship. Well, notice how he continues to demonstrate that wisdom. It says in verse 30, The next day, because he wanted to know for certain why he was accused by the Jews, he released him from his bonds and commanded the chief priests and all their council to appear and brought Paul down and set him before them. And then Paul, looking earnestly at the council, said... Men and brethren, I have lived in all good conscience before God until this day. So the tribune says, we're going to get to the bottom of this. If we can't scourge you because you're a Roman citizen, what we're going to do is we're going to call the Supreme Court of the Jewish people, the Sanhedrin, together. Now, this probably wasn't an official uh, proceeding, but they all came together to examine Paul and to somehow get to the bottom of what was going on. So they bring Paul down. They sit him in the midst of the Sanhedrin. Paul gets up and listens to his first words. Men and brethren, notice he says there's some kinship that's here. He said, I have lived in good conscience until this day. I have lived before God and I know who I am and I know what I've done. And I know that I have maintained my purity and my holiness before God. Now, understand when Paul makes that statement, a statement that is true, a statement that is bold, it also indicts many of those who are on that council. And it offends them because they have brought such charges against Paul. They have pushed back against the Christian faith. Obviously, the Sanhedrin itself was involved in the death of Jesus Christ. And notice it says, verse 2, the high priest Ananias commanded those who stood by him to strike him on the mouth. 
Ananias. If you look at history and Josephus in particular, you'll see that this is one of the most violent, one of the most vile of the high priests that ever served in Israel. As a matter of fact, he had allowed people to bribe him. He had taken many of the offerings that were to be given to the ordinary priest, and he had used them for his own benefit. He was a violent man. Uh, later on, he'd have to go to Rome because they believed that he would, was trying to uh, rebel against them, that charge that was dismissed eventually against him. But in some ways, he was always conniving, most of the time on the Roman side. And here he is standing by Paul, and he strikes him. Notice verse 3. Then Paul said to him, God will strike you, you whitewashed wall, for you sit to judge me according to the law, and do you command me to be struck contrary to the law? That's pretty strong wording, right? You whitewashed wall. You probably wouldn't take that as a compliment tonight if your spouse looked at you and said, Hey, whitewash, come on over here. I want to talk to you about your life and whitewashed wall. Do you remember another time when Jesus referred to the religious leaders in a very similar way? He talked to them about being whitewashed tombs. In other words, they were, they were pretty on the outside. I mean, they had been washed and cleaned, white. It, it was just nice on the outside. But a whitewashed tomb may be nice on the outside, but it's full of death on the inside. And that's basically what he's saying. You know, you can get up as a high priest and you can look so good before people and you can make such comments and you can try to act like you're standing before God. But you know what? If we were to delve down into the, into the depth of your identity, what we would find is nothing more than death. There is no true life. I told you that if you look at the historical accounts of this man who served as high priest some five or so years that that term and even his continued life was noted by violence and bribery and manipulation and evil. And yet he is standing to bring judgment to Paul. And those who stood by said, do you revile God's high priest? You got to love this. Paul said, oh, I did not know, brethren, that he was the high priest. For it is written, you shall not speak evil of a ruler of your people. I think he was trying to be somewhat, well, let's say tongue-in-cheek, right? Oh, did you mean that he was the high priest? I didn't know that was the high priest because he wasn't acting like a high priest. You ever use that kind of language before, termina? That's kind of what he means. He, he wasn't, I, I didn't recognize this. Also, if you go back and you think about this account of Paul, and you look at the life of Jesus and his trials, you'll see some close similarities, right? When you hear this, you almost think you're reading again the trial of Jesus before the Sanhedrin. Remember a few weeks ago, I told you that the life of the disciple often reflects the life of the Lord, of his Lord. And over the last few weeks, as we've looked at Paul, you'll see so many similarities. And don't miss that. That's not an accident. That is supposed to be intentional within Scripture to remind us that our lives, the disciples' lives, often mirror the life of our Lord. And so here you hear some of those same kind of exchanges. And Paul says, I'm sorry I didn't realize that this was the guy that was the high priest. Verse 6, 
But when Paul perceived that one part were Sadducees and the other Pharisees, he cried out in the council, Men and brethren, I am a Pharisee, the son of a Pharisee, concerning the hope and resurrection of the dead, I am being judged. Now, you gotta love, you got to love this. As you understand the Scripture and understand Paul, he looks around and he says, You know what we have here? We have a bunch of Pharisees and we have a bunch of Sadducees. So this moment is ripe for division. It, it's kind of it, like having different people with different allegiances, right? Maybe even different football allegiances. Tonight, some of you rooting for the Broncos? How many of you rooting for the Broncos? See, we're not going to have division here tonight. Anybody rooting for Carolina? That's what I should. Oh, I'm sorry for y'all. I'm sorry for y'all. But maybe you have the different allegiances. Let, let me say something like this. How many of you root for LSU? And you'd admit it in church before God and everybody. I'm sorry, you shouldn't do that. How many, I ought to ask how many people root for Ole Miss. Probably not as many as I need to. Oh, go ahead there, Miss Vivian. See, you and I and the McCorders, we got, yes. There's this, you just know that there's just this division that's there, right? And you can mention something. I mean, it's kind of like you just give the bait and the division just, happens you can just throw something out out there and before you know it you have this argument the pharisees and sadducees were much like that i think we forget about that though too often you know we think about them being this collective group that stands against jesus and they do i mean as you look in the new testament some of these enemies of christ are strange bedfellows the pharisees who hate rome the sadducees who are a little more comfortable with Rome, the Herodians, all of these who come together, it is strange that they all come in a collective way against Jesus. Because if you were to look at the differences and the distinctions, many of them could not stand one another. And they had real theological arguments. Pharisees and Sadducees, by the way. The Pharisees were those who were very conservative in many ways. They were very conservative. They believed in angels, resurrection. They believed in the miracles of the Old Testament. They, they believed in God's majesty and power and work. The, the Pharisees actually represented much of the lay people of the land. The Sadducees, the Sadducees, they were more of this aristocracy. They were a little better off. They controlled the priesthood. And because of that, they were very good friends with the Romans. Whereas the Pharisees hated the Romans and wanted to see the Romans go, the Sadducees would make friends with the Romans. And the Sadducees, they dismissed this idea of resurrection. They dismissed this idea of, of angels or miracles. They just said none, none of that stuff really existed. This is kind of a bad way to re remember this, but... I'll pass it along. I had to be subjected to this when I was at Blue Mountain by one of my professors. So I'll just give it to you. You see, the Sadducees did not believe in angels, resurrection, miracles, those kinds of things. That was the reason, and that is the reason that they were sad, you see. It's terrible, I know. It's terrible. But you know what? I bet you remember that from now on. It was sad. They, they didn't, didn't believe in all that stuff. 
So look, Paul looks at them and he sees this natural division that's out there. So what does he say? <laughs> Paul said, you know why we're all here today? Why all this is taking place? It's because I've been a Pharisee. Yeah, that's right. It's because I've been a Pharisee. And it's because I believe in the power of the resurrection. I believe in the power of miracles. And here I am standing before you. And that is the reason that I'm here today. You see the wisdom in this? Now, he's bold. Don't get me wrong. He's bold. But now he is wise because, again, this Paul who is, has a habit of lighting the fuse that will eventually explode has just lit another one right there in the council. And it said, verse 7, And when he had said this, a dissension arose between the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and the assembly was divided. I mean, just like that. As soon as he spoke it, there was this division. For the Sadducees say that there is no resurrection, no angel or spirit, but the Pharisees confess both. Notice Dr. Luke just gives you that little parenthetical statement so you'll make sure that you know exactly why the division took place. Verse 9, then there arose a loud outcry, and the scribes of the Pharisees' party arose and protested, saying, we find no evil in this man. But if a spirit or an angel has spoken to him, let us not fight against God. Earlier in the book of Acts, some of the same Pharisees will issue forth that same philosophy. If this is God, we need to leave it alone. We cannot fight against him. Now, when there arose a great dissension, the commander, fearing lest Paul might be pulled to pieces by them, commanded the soldiers to go down, take him by force from among them, and bring him into the barracks. Paul stands for the resurrection. He stands for Christ. He is bold. Everybody in this place tonight, I think, would agree that Paul has one of the uh, most courageous, bold testimonies that we can find in church history itself. But he was wise in the way that he presented the gospel of Christ. And I think this is a challenge again for us to be bold, but also to be wise. Knowing that God wants to give us wisdom, right? I said this morning as we talked about God's word and, and learning it and our listening and meditating and really just internalizing in our life, God wants to grow us. He wants to grow us in our wisdom. He wants to grow us in our activities. He wants to help us as we make good decisions every day as we respond to different people. And I believe as God was working in Paul's heart, as the Holy Spirit was Speaking to him, he gave him this measure of wisdom. Oh, how we could use wisdom today, dealing with a world that it just seems to go awry all around us. A world that doesn't want to accept so much of the truth. A world that really has begun to push back more and more every day against the Christian witness. I say as we think about the example of Christ Jesus as we think about the example of Paul, that somehow we ought to be challenged to balance our lives with boldness and wisdom and ask God to give us great wisdom. I love a God who is generous. And James says that the God that we have is a generous, liberal God who if we come to him and ask for wisdom, he is one to grant our request. And to provide for us what we need. We need people who are wise. That will be about the message of Christ. 
and who will proclaim it boldly. And I pray that this week, wherever we are, in our schools, in our work, whatever it is, that we would balance that together and that we would present the message of Christ in a wise, bold way to those around us. May God challenge us in such a way and may God work in our lives. Let's pray together. Father, we pray tonight that, uh, Lord, you would continue to strengthen us, guide us, lead us into discernment. We pray that when you see us, when you look down, and Father, in our interactions with our family, workplaces, wherever it is, Lord, that as we uh, stand for what you call us to proclaim, the good news, the gospel, that, Lord, we'd be bold and we would be wise. Lord, we grant our we come to you before you tonight and we just say, Lord, we know that we need wisdom as we relate your message to our culture, the culture around us. God, help us, lead us, and guide us. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand tonight?